Hello, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, Body Justice. I started this podcast because I believe that all bodies are good bodies. All bodies are deserving, worthy, and all bodies are whole, just as they are. In today's world, it's ever hard to embody this as our truth. My mission is to create a space to process body image, eating disorders, and relationships through a justice-oriented lens. I'm a licensed therapist in California and an eating disorder survivor myself. I know what it's like to be at war with myself and also to find peace again. Thank you for being here and I look forward to being your host. Welcome back to Body Justice. Hope everyone is having just a great week. Now, today I have a special guest on. Um, In light of the holidays coming up, which can be a really, really hard time for for everyone, right? But also folks in recovery. Um, There's lots of family dynamics that come to surface, right? And there is definitely lots of food challenges. Um, And so I have... Gabrielle Moriel. Um, she's a licensed therapist in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, specializing in eating disorders, and she identifies as a Hayes Health at Every Size therapist. She's the owner and clinical director of Recovered and Restored Eating Disorder Therapy Center. Um, she's got six awesome clinicians who work with her, um, and she's just so passionate about the field. Um, she's been in the field for about 10 years. Um, she uses a variety of approaches and is trauma-informed. She's also personally recovered. So she has a she's had a lifelong battle with anorexia for 17 years. And she's so thankful that she's found food freedom and recovery. And you can really just hear her passion um, in this talk with her. And I really love connecting with her. And we met on Instagram and she's just the best. Gabby, can you help tell listeners a little bit about who you are, um, how you identify, and what you're passionate about? Sure. So I'm Gabby. Um, my pronouns are she, her. I am the owner and clinical director of Recovered and Restored Eating Disorder Therapy Center. Um, we are a health at every size aligned practice in Pennsylvania, also serving uh, New Jersey and Delaware. Um, we are truly passionate about people's recovery and helping them know that healing is possible because it really is. Um, my team is all personally recovered, which is so cool. And I love being able to say that. And, um, I'm also on a personal note, very passionate about dogs and I am a dog mom. (laughs) I love that. I can relate from everything to the personally recovered to the dog mom. (laughs) I love that your practice is all recovered clinicians. I think that it really just adds another layer of trust for the clients. Like they feel like they can really open up and also for us as providers, it just gives so much meaning to the work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what got you started in working with eating disorders? So as I've shared being personally recovered, um, I 
you know, didn't receive the best care as like a young teen and into like my early adulthood and then finding a therapist who really made just a huge difference in my life. Shout out to Christy, um, really turned it around and helped me get toward the place I am now. So I wanted to be that person for someone else. And I remember being younger and just feeling so misunderstood And, um, I really just wanted to be that person who someone comes to and feels safe and is, you know, a trustworthy person and who they know, like, maybe I don't understand because I'm not walking in your shoes, but I understand because I have been there in a different way. Um, and also I've always just been a secret keeper. So, Mm -hmm. um, I think from like a young age, and I think a lot of us therapists kind of know our calling early on sometimes even without knowing it because people just come to us. I don't know whether it's, you know, part of our personality or just that we're really good at keeping our mouth shut. Um, but yeah, so I've always kind of gravitated just in this field. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so awesome. That's so similar to why I became a therapist and shout out to my therapist that changed my life. Dr. McAvoy. (laughs) Um, she, yeah, I, I looked up to her so much and, and then, yeah, you experience firsthand how life-changing it can be and just wanting to give that to others. Yeah, absolutely. And I know your practice is super passionate about Haze. Um, we've talked a little bit about health at every size on the podcast before, but I would love to hear from you some of the basic principles of Haze and why it is so crucial to have a treatment team that's Haze informed Absolutely. Yes. So important. Um, So Health at Every Size is a social justice framework that creates inclusive, respectful care and strongly believes that all bodies are good bodies and it promotes a compassionate way of taking care of yourself. So I'll break that down a little, a little bit more if that's okay. Yes. So Um, it talks about body diversity. Like I said, all bodies are good bodies and it is essential that you have a provider who believes that as a provider, it is our job to acknowledge that we have weight biases and we must challenge them. If you are going to work with this population, you should be haze aligned, but whether you're haze aligned or not, you must, you must examine your weight bias. It's really, really important. And it's the best way to give safe, um, and good eating disorder treatment. Um, Also, it accepts diversity and embraces culture. That is so important in recovery because a lot of times different cultures are definitely discriminated against in their food choices or different ways that they choose to move their body or whatever it may be. And it is so important that from a haze model, we are embracing this diversity. It's a beautiful thing. Um, And it acknowledges that anyone can be affected by an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, they are not what we think. And I just did air quotes. I always do that. (laughs) Um, but air quote, they are not what we think they look like eating disorders do not have a look and haze very much aligns with that mindset. Um, it also talks about critical awareness. So I would say this is probably my favorite part of haze. Um, even though I love it all, but, um, because critical awareness has us challenge science, which like, mm. hell yeah, let's be yeah. rebel. So, um, with challenging science comes with challenging the things that we're told, right? Like the concept of BMI bullshit. We know this, mm. but why, why is it bullshit? And then 
Hayes can explain that and also can help change, you know, the medical system, which needs so much change. And we'll definitely get to that. And the other piece of critical awareness in Hayes really looks and values lived experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have an eating disorder, you're, you experience so many different things in your body that are unnerving and scary and hard. And then to go to a doctor or a therapist and to not be believed is terrible. It, mm-hmm. It's a horrible thing and it happens all the time. So from a haze model, we would value that lived experience. We would listen. Um, I think haze really promotes curiosity mm-hmm. opposed to criticalness, which I think we all have that judgmental piece of our brain. And I think as a haze provider, we get curious, we don't get critical, which I think is really important. And we help clients or try our best to help clients get um, curious as well. Um, And one thing I want to say to that for anyone listening, whether you're struggling or you're not struggling, anyone listening, you are the expert on you. You know your body best. Mm -hmm. So Yes, as a therapist, we have knowledge. Yes, doctors have lots of knowledge, but you have lived in your body for however long you've been alive and you are an expert on yourself for sure. Um, And then it also talks about compassionate self-care. That is so important, whether you're healing from an eating disorder or just living your life in this crazy time. we all need some compassion. So um, having a haze aligned provider, they're going to work with you on how to develop that self-compassion in kind of our diet culture, hustle and bustle society that does not promote that at all. So mm-hmm. there are so many reasons to work with a haze provider, but I would say these are just some of them and some of the reasons that I love haze. And I hope that, you know, you guys, if nothing else are intrigued by it. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. That was a great breakdown of what Hayes is and why it is so important to have a Hayes provider. And since Hayes, you know, really focuses on like individual behaviors and obviously like social factors too that influence a person's health and really takes like weight out of equaling health, right? And takes mm-hmm. body size out of that equation. How do you, you know, this is something when I'm working with clients um, that I get the most pushback from, I think, which is, but I, I need to lose weight to be quote unquote healthy. Um, mm. And then we start talking of haze, but there is this like initial rejection and a lot of times resistance because it is so different than what we've been sold our entire lives. I'm just yeah. curious, like, how do you work with that and help people through that? Well, I think, I know personally, I take a breath because (laughs) it's a lot when someone, you know, is just rejecting something that you care so passionately about both personally and professionally, and that, you know, will help them. So sometimes I know for myself, I have to just take a breath. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's two ways that I really, or two things that I really try to remember. The first is body autonomy. It is not up to me what someone does with their body, right, wrong, or indifferent. It is up to me to support that person as a whole person, not necessarily support their choice, but support them because they are who they are. Um, And I think that can really get lost sometimes in translations on in 
any type of therapy. So I think just remembering body autonomy is really important. Um, and then my next thing would be curiosity. So why, like, what feels hard about haze? Like, you know, and maybe sharing some self-disclosing if appropriate, you know, what really helped me while I was in recovery with haze was this, mm -hmm. or saying, you know, I hear that that's really hard for you because yeah, you have been told the complete opposite your whole life, but let's look at how wrong that is, you know, and just trying to ask them to think critically, which is where he's, you know, comes in again. Um, but I think just being curious and trying to be patient and remembering that like they can have that desire, but that doesn't mean that's what has to happen. But either way, it's really not up to me or my team. Um, and I think just trying to develop a safe, a safe space with them to like have these difficult conversations because they are hard and letting them know that it's okay that you disagree with me. I'm not going to change my stance and you don't necessarily have to change your stance, but, um, you know, we're going to talk about why. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. That's so good. Um, it is so hard as a provider to not want to just like swoop in and, give them all the research and <laughs> almost like as if you're going into a debate, but you have to remember <laughs> like it's, yeah. this is, we're on the same team. Like it comes yeah. from a place of, you know, for me at least just wanting them to see the truth so desperately, yeah. Yeah. but yeah, everyone's timeline is so different in terms of how and when and if they ever accept yeah. haze, right? It's yeah. like, so I love that you emphasize the validation and really just holding space with curiosity and kind of sounds like maybe slowly challenging some of those diet culture beliefs, but not, not pushing them, which is so key. Yep. Absolutely. And I think safety, just creating a place of safety, even though you may disagree is mm -hmm. okay. And I like what you said about, you know, the desire, you can still have the desire for your body to be smaller and still believe in haze. Like, yeah desire, like that's hard to just take away when we've been conditioned our whole lives one way, but I think mm -hmm. it more so comes down to the behaviors and our values. Like, okay, we can have the desire, but that doesn't mean we're going to act on it. Right. And yeah. So absolutely. I love that idea too. Yeah. yeah thanks. And I, I think one way, or one thing that really frustrates me with, you know, teaching clients about haze is that they go to their doctor's office and then they might hear the complete opposite. And yeah. I know one thing you're really passionate about is, um, you know, talking about weight stigma in the medical setting. So I would love to hear your thoughts on that and how you help your clients combat that. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to straight um, state my privilege right now. I acknowledge that as an adult, I am in a straight sized body. So I have not in an adult body experienced weight stigma. However, as a child, I did experience it terribly. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what it's like as an adult, but I do hear, and I'm sure Allison, you hear accounts of this sadly all the time from yeah. clients, but I did experience as it as a child and it was a big contributor, not placing blame, but it was a big contributor to the development of my eating disorder. So I think it shows up in a lot of different ways. I think the first thing is that if someone goes to the doctor because they have a cold, why do they need to step on a scale? The mm -hmm. scale has got to go. The value that doctors and the medical community, not just doctors put on 
weight is ridiculous. It's irrelevant. It's a number. It's our relationship to gravity. It does not matter. If I have a cold, maybe I need antibiotics. I don't Mm -hmm. need to know my size. No, it's like used as a vital sign, like, like our heart rate. And it's not, it doesn't tell you anything about your health in that moment. No, not at all, which is just such a shame. So I think it starts from, you know, as a young child, you know, the focus on weight, when you go to the pediatrician, of course, they want to see that you're growing, growing is great, but then say that you don't grow in the way that they feel is what you should be doing. Then all of a sudden you're on the growth chart and then we're comparing growth charts and we're talking about percentiles and all of these things that are just not helpful to a young child to hear. Cause what that child is hearing is that their body is wrong mm-hmm. and their body is never, ever wrong. And then prescribing diets to children is incredibly harmful and sets them up to have an eating disorder for sure. And then this translates into adulthood. When people go in to the doctor's office, one of my clinicians had shared recently about her dad and her dad has been having really high blood pressure and they're telling him to lose weight. And she's like, my dad is the most stressed out person. I know Mm -hmm. my dad needs my dad needs to go to counseling. My dad needs to talk to somebody, but my dad does not need to lose weight. So their automatic prescription is weight loss. Mm -hmm. Oh, let's look at what's going on with the whole person. Mm -hmm. Stop focusing on that number. I think also the fact that providers will praise someone in a bigger body for doing disordered behaviors, whereas Mm -hmm. when someone is in a smaller body, they would say, oh, what's going on? It's just hypocrisy. It's absolute insanity and it's not okay. And it's not, it's doing harm. It's, it's doing serious harm. So I think those are just a few examples. Um, if anyone is listening, you have the right to decline your weight. Well, I know people are listening, but anyone's <laughs> listening who this is resonating with, sorry. Um, you have the right to decline your weight. You do not have to be weighed at the doctor. I know that's an incredibly uncomfortable conversation. There are times where doctors will push back you're allowed to say no. It's mm-hmm. your body, your right, your choice. And if they won't respect that, then maybe it's time to look into other options, which I know can be hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's so many ways it shows up in the medical community, even just attitudes towards people in bigger bodies that doctors have mm-hmm. and how often they miss diagnosing, you know, eating disorders in people in bigger bodies because they just think they're losing weight or that they're, you know, on a wellness journey or whatever crazy thing I've probably heard a doctor say to me (laughs) over the Mm -hmm. years. Um, but no, they're struggling with an eating disorder and you need to pay attention because their disorder is just as serious as someone in a smaller body. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Oh, it's so heartbreaking when we hear those stories because we can, we can be telling, you know, we can be kind of the counterculture with our clients about haze and anti-diet and all that stuff. But we are so conditioned to look at doctors as like one of the ultimate authorities. Yeah. So it's really hard when doctors make those, even if it's just a one-off comment, it's so damaging. Mm -hmm. And then it can undo like months of work that we've been doing with clients around haze and body image. So uh, it's, I wish that doctors had to take a Hayes course because yes. I think the problem starts with the education. Like they're just not, a lot of them. And I'm sure there's some programs that do, but a lot of programs just don't talk about that. And they surely don't talk about eating disorders. So no, not at all. I think I spoke with a doctor once who shared with me that they get about an hour 
of a nutrition course. This was their program, but I think that's kind of the trend and that they just do a general mental health, you know, understanding like a mental health course. So like maybe they spend an hour on eating disorders, but like, no, that's a medical issue. You should be spending hours on that. Mm. You should just be devoting time to learning about it and learning about health at every size so that we can stop doing this harm. Right. I mean, and it's not surprising that they only get that maybe, you know, half an hour talk about eating disorders. Cause I know even in grad school as a therapist, um, I think we had one class, not an even entire class, one day of like our diagnostics class that was devoted to eating disorders. And that is not enough for therapists to know how to treat eating disorders. And then of course, a lot of us have like extra training or our own um, experience, but I see so often on like psychology today, not to call anyone out, but a lot of people that will say they treat eating disorders. And then you look more into it and they don't have any specialized training in it. And it's just, it makes me so mad. Yeah. It's frustrating. It's definitely frustrating. And one thing I try to say to any young clinician, if you have an interest in eating disorders, awesome. Educate yourself, Mm -hmm. go to trainings, work with the supervisor, get consultation. All of us who claim to be specialists and most of us are, you know, we started somewhere. Yeah. Started somewhere. There was a time I was not an eating disorder specialist. Mm -hmm. There was a time when I was a survivor and had an interest. Yeah. Okay. But how did I develop that interest? I got a supervisor who was amazing. I learned about haze, which not only changed my life from a recovering person's perspective, but also changed my life as a professional. Then I went on to do more trainings. I definitely want to shout out Allison's training. She has an amazing training for people who are interested in learning how to treat eating disorders. Also Jennifer Rollins has one. Dr. Colleen Reichman has one. And these are all like affordable. These are not There are other trainings out there and I know, you know, not to call people out, but they're, they're really highly priced and I'm sure they're excellent, but Mm -hmm. you don't need to, if you're feeling that financial strains are a concern, but you really want to learn more, look into these trainings by those of us that are in the field, because we want you to learn and we have hands-on practical experiences and, um, toolkits. Allison's comes with, um, handouts. And I think Jen's does too. I mean, Mm -hmm. they're awesome. These trainings are great. So I highly, highly recommend to look into the people who you're following on social media that are doing trainings and other therapists that are offering trainings. And maybe the big organizations are great, but, um, that's just a big financial undertaking. And if you're not ready for that, that's okay. Agreed. Yeah. I'm totally in alignment with you there. And I think we learn the most like, you know, through the personal experience with clients and then getting like proper consultation and supervision is, is you can do all the trainings in the world, but you also have to kind of be there and kind of be coached through how to yes. handle some of the really unexpected situations that can come up. Absolutely. And I have a supervisor. That's okay. You know what I mean? Just don't be ashamed. It's okay to ask for help. I work with her once a month and I will say that once a month I come out feeling refreshed and just having a new perspective on how I treat my clients. And it just helps me be better therapist. Yeah, absolutely. I love, I have consultation groups and stuff like that, that I go to too. And it is, it's definitely, um, a necessary thing. And we shouldn't be afraid to say that, right? Like building our skills constantly, the field's changing constantly too. Yes, absolutely. So 
Yeah. And so your, you know, passion for haze, it sounds like also really started from your personal experience, like at that doctor's office um, and the weight stigma you faced. Can you share just a little bit about that story if you're comfortable? Yeah, totally. So the one story that I particularly remember, although there sadly are so many, is when I was 10 and I remember getting weighed and I remember the doctor um, referring to me as the O word, which I will not say. And I think most Mm. people listening probably know what I'm trying to say. Um, And I remember them telling my mom that if I continued this way, you know, um, we were going to be in trouble. I remember them saying that. And I remember being 10 and being like, what? Mm. Like, you know, I'm 10. I don't know. I don't even know what they're talking about knowing me. And I just remember my, the look on my mom's face being like, okay. And at that point I had already been on diet since I was seven Mm. years old as instructed by this doctor and other doctors. My mom listened because as you said, and you're so right, we look to the medical community to tell us what to do. And yes, they have knowledge. They do. They are smart, educated, and oftentimes wonderful people. But when it comes to this particular issue, unless they are haze aligned, they really don't know. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. They can change that, but, um, you know, they, they aren't all knowing. So Mm -hmm. you, you are the expert on you, but I remember, you know, leaving and my mom, I love you, Sheil. I'm sure she's going to listen to this because she <laughs> listens to all the podcasts that go on because she's great. Um, she yells at me mm-hmm. and I got in, in trouble, you know, for gaining weight. And oh I was gosh. like, okay. Like, and I was definitely the kind of kid in the moment where things like rolled off my back, but I did have very high anxiety. So I was, and still can be a ruminator. Mm-hmm. So I remember just going to bed that night and crying and just ruminating on all the things I had heard in the room that day, all the things they were telling my mom, all the things they were going to take away. And I was just like, what? And I was 10. So I didn't know how to say, Hey mom, that was a really hard conversation for me today. Can we talk about that? Where now as an adult, Mm -hmm. I have that language, but I was 10. So I just did what I was told. And I'm sure snuck candy when I could and, you know, did Mm -hmm. started all those types of behaviors because, you know, I was being told I couldn't have things and that was just so harmful. And I definitely remember after that, having an extreme fear of the the doctor, like Mm -hmm. whether, yeah, like extreme, like, uh, oh my goodness, God bless my mom. I would kick and scream and throw fits if they were trying to take me to the doctor. Like if I had a whether it was the flu or cold or, you know, we have to do your physical so you can go to school this year. Yeah. You know, it was just this all horrible thing. And I eventually got to the age where I would say like, well, it's because they're going to weigh me or it's because they're going to be mean. And, you know, people are like, oh, that's not going to happen. It Mm -hmm. did happen most of the time. And then eventually, you know, my eating disorder really kicked in and I started losing weight and I was incredibly praised for that weight loss in the beginning. And, you know, that was really, I believe a big catalyst hmm. Oh, that's so sad. Like this, when you, you know, remember yourself, like going to bed, crying that night, just like the amount of shame that even though you didn't understand completely what the doctor was like trying to convey, right? Like you remember being like, okay, but yeah. at the same time, you knew there was something shame associated with mm-hmm. that comment and like making your body the problem. And Oh, so hard for anyone to hear, but especially as a 10 year old where we don't have alternative opinions available and 
than our parents, you know, reiterate what the doctor says because the doctor, um, it's so tough. And I'm so glad you finally were able to find like another avenue in recovery because yeah, so damaging. Thank you. Yeah. It, it was a challenging one. I think it did teach me though, like even from a young age, like they don't always know better. Yeah. Like, so I think it did give me like this perspective as an adult now, like, and my current doctor is amazing. Totally. He's aligned. She's wonderful. Um, you know, I really sought out providers with like research. Like I didn't just go see anyone and yeah. I had, you know, the time and the privilege to do that because I understand that not everyone has that option. Um, but yeah, I think if you have the opportunity to really research your provider, you know, figure out what they align with, interview them. Like people interview us. I know I get interviewed as a therapist all the time and I welcome it. Mm -hmm. Interview me, make sure we're going to click. Maybe I'm interviewing you too. No, I'm, yeah. I'm <laughs> but yeah. So I think it's okay to question the people who we think are in charge, you know, mm -hmm. as long as we're doing it in a way that feels respectful and aligned with who we are, it's okay. Right. And that's like part of that critical awareness piece you were talking about with Hayes, right? Yeah. Like yeah. being a critical consumer of the things we're told and really questioning and looking at the research. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that story. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. So with the holidays approaching, which can be, you know, a really tough time for people in recovery, what yeah. are some of the challenges you see for people in recovery and during the holiday season? Oh my goodness. <laughs> It can bring up so much stuff. Um, even as someone who's recovered, I sometimes struggle during the holiday season just because it's really hard. Mm -hmm. um, you know, new foods, big gatherings, um, body family. comments, yeah. family, <laughs> yes, family, body comments, food comments, just so many things. And I think, you know, approaching it with grace and having grace and self-compassion with yourself. It always goes a really long way, but also, um, setting boundaries. So mm -hmm. shout out to Jonah Hill. I know everyone has seen, yeah. you know, what he said. And I so love that. He so eloquently just said, Hey, I know you mean well, but this isn't helpful to me. Mm -hmm. His You're allowed Twitter to say that. Perfect. We should yeah. all screenshot that and take that to our family functions, right? Like, here you go. Yes. Yes. So don't feel like you have to just take what people are saying, you know, whether someone is commenting on your body and it's hurtful or it's triggering, triggering, or you're like, oh, well, I guess that was nice. You know, if it made you uncomfortable or if it's just something that you're just not in a space to hear, it's okay to say that. And one thing about boundaries, I think people think boundaries, you know, create conflict, but they do quite the opposite. They are designed to help people come together in a way that feels safe for both parties. So I know when I tell clients to set boundaries, I think they probably roll their eyes, right? Okay, Gab, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, but no, set the boundary and it's hard. And I think one thing that's also important about boundaries is you're going to have to reset that boundary because people mm -hmm. are imperfect. So not only having grace with yourself, as you said it, have grace with the people who you're setting it with, because it's going to take time. Behaviors take time to change. Mm -hmm. That's such a good point. Yeah. I mean, I think we forget that part of it or we get frustrated when we set a boundary <laughs> yeah. and then maybe a month later, the person says something again, but yeah, like they're just as an indoctrinated and diet culture as we all are. And yeah. unless you have um, an experience that makes you question that like an eating disorder, then 
you might not ever challenge the status quo, right? Because you just right. aren't affected by it. That is such a, a tough one though. Like the food and the body comments and especially like after a couple of years in lockdown, um, people yeah. haven't seen each other in a while. So I anticipate there's gonna be more of those kind of comments. Um, how do you, you know, how, how would you suggest a client set a boundary? What would be an example of something someone could say? Yeah, so I think, um, say that someone was just, we'll, we'll do a nice one. Say someone was like, oh, you look so nice today. You know, it's okay to say like, thank you for saying that. But you know, if we could just not comment on my body, that would be awesome. That's kind of, for me, I know like a known thing in my family. Like you can tell me you love my dress, but don't comment about my body. You can tell me you like my shirt all good. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But don't tell me that you like how I look in it. Cause I don't care. Yeah. I don't, I don't care how I look in my body. I care that I'm going to have a good time with you. And I hope that we can be on the same page with that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I find it just very uninteresting too. Like yeah. when people bring that up. It's like, this is, what do you want me to say to that? This isn't going to lead to like an interesting conversation. It's just so surface level. Right. And that person at family functions, that's like, let's talk about how we really are. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk yeah. about all of our <laughs> trauma and stress. I love <laughs> so that. I feel validated. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, yes. I agree. Yeah. It doesn't have to be, I think sometimes people get nervous of like, well, then I have to explain my eating disorder and all that. And you don't have to, right. You can no. simply just say, I'd like to talk about other things or it's not helpful to talk about my body, even if you mean no harm. Right. It's, it's Absolutely. just not, yeah, it should not be like normal etiquette. I hate that. That's like, especially as women identifying yeah. people, it's like the first thing other women say to each other is, oh, you look great. And it's like, yes. okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Let's exactly. You said, let's talk about something of substance. Like, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It, it is so hard and you're right. Like what we're doing is countercultural, So it's hard. It is hard and it's okay to feel scared to say things. And I would say one thing I really encourage clients to do, and I know this is something that I did was start with someone safe. So like the first person I set a boundary with was my sister. And it was literally like, Hey, please don't comment on my body. Cool. Mm -hmm. It was easy, right? Like she was probably the easiest person I could have done it with. Fine. And then, you know, as I did it with her and then I did it with other people in my family. And I definitely did receive pushback. I mm-hmm. definitely did. So what do you mean? I can't say that. You're not going to tell me what to say. Okay. Well, if we're going to interact with each other, you are going to respect my boundaries. And if you can't do that, then I am going to choose not to interact with you or not to interact with you as much. Um, mm-hmm. But typically the goal is to just get your boundary heard and to help people understand, you know, how to respect them. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you have to do what feels right for you in your recovery, but start with a safe person. Remember to have grace with yourself and grace with the person you're setting it with. Cause we are human and we are imperfect mm-hmm. and that's okay. Um, and don't apologize for them. Um, I think that's something I hear a lot, like someone, and I know I'm someone who does this. I'll be like, can you do that? But you don't have to do that. No, I need you to do this, do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Or I need you not to say this, please don't say it. Right. Don't mince your words, just set them, make it clear and stand by them. It's okay to stand for something and it's okay mm-hmm. to stand up for yourself. 
Yes. Oh my gosh. Amen. I think that's just, again, especially, um, you know, as women identifying people are taught to be so polite and <laughs> like not make any waves. And so it, it can feel really awkward at first to, to set those boundaries. And um, also just, I think folks with eating disorders, we do tend to be the more highly sensitive, like givers, right? Yeah. Like hearts of gold, but sometimes we put each other's or everyone else's needs in front of our own. So right. we might just think like, we can just like brush those comments off, but right. if we don't stand up for ourselves, they do kind of sit with us. And it's just such an act of like recovery, I think, to be able to mm-hmm. state, this is my need, you know? Yeah. Um, please respect it. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Shout out to everyone out there going into the holiday seasons during recovery. Cause definitely is a hard time. Yeah. So much compassion to you guys. It is hard. Mm-hmm. So Gabby, I've loved this conversation. Can you tell listeners where to find you in your awesome practice? Yes. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I had such a good time being here. I am so grateful for you guys listening. Allison and I became friends on Instagram because I was like, oh my gosh, I love what this person is posting. And then she made this awesome course. And I was like, I need to know her. So then (laughs) we just became friendly after that, which was amazing. And seriously, if you haven't taken her course and you treated me disorders, (laughs) you totally should. Cause it's really, really good. Um, but yes, where people can find us is at recovered and restored therapy.com. Um, we have lots of resources. There are other, uh, blogs and podcasts and, um, our team is on there. You can see my amazing team, including our therapy dogs. And I did put that in air quote because (laughs) they're not therapy dogs, but I wanted my dog to be on the internet. Um, And you can also reach out to us through Instagram. We have two awesome, awesome pages, um, Gabrielle LPC, and then um, at Recovered and Restored. And my email is Gabby at recoveredandrestoredtherapy.com. We are currently accepting clients, but also if you are someone who is struggling and you can't you know, afford us or we're not in your area, don't hesitate to reach out to me because of things like social media, which sometimes has the power for good. I might know someone or I might know someone who knows someone and we can get you connected because you deserve to heal. Mm-hmm. Being a recovered person, I say this with joy and pride that healing is possible. It really, really is. And you are worthy and deserving of it. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Gabby. That's your practice sounds so great and so like authentic and genuine from the heart. And yes, anyone that is struggling, definitely go check her practice out and remind me again where you see clients, Gabby. So we are currently fully virtual and we do have an office in Ambler that I've had during this whole pandemic and have yet to step foot in. So we would love to see you in person, but we are just not there yet, but hopefully in the future, uh, in-person sessions in Ambler, Pennsylvania, but we can serve Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Of course. Thank you for having me. Oh, 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 oh,